Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. What compels us and propels us to extend forgiveness to others. Forgiveness is a really powerful word. It's a powerful thing. If you're familiar with an author named Malcolm Gladwell, he wrote Bomber Mafia, he wrote Outliers, he wrote a book called David and Goliath, he's a uh, a well-renowned New York Times best-selling author, grew up in uh, southern Ontario, really close to actually where I lived in Toronto for a little while, and I grew up in kind of a, 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 a very conservative uh, Christian household, and left his faith uh, later in life as he got older and began to do research and write and those types of things, and became at the very least agnostic, possibly even atheist, uh, and in research for his book called Outliers, he met a couple uh, in Canada as well, and that couple had a very young daughter who was abducted from their home, sexually assaulted, and killed, and they found her about 24 hours later, about a mile and a half from their home. And immediately after uh, that happened, the day after they found the young girl's body, there was a press conference with this couple, and they said in the press conference, we are just praying that God would move our hearts toward forgiveness. It's an honest statement, really. You know, what they're saying is our hearts aren't quite there yet, but we're praying that God would do that, and over time and space, God healed, and they eventually extended uh, forgiveness towards their daughter's killer. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, that was so powerful for him, that research and that story, that he returned to his faith later in life, even uh, recently. There's an article in Relevant Magazine about it if you want to read about it. This concept of forgiveness is extraordinary. Uh, when we uh, hold on to unforgiveness, it captures us, it binds us, it, it puts us in a prison. Uh, when, when we withhold forgiveness from others, when we don't experience the forgiveness of God, uh, it, it can, it, like I said, it can bind us, it can put us in prison, but when we do experience God's forgiveness and then extend it to others, I mean, it can set us free in some extraordinary and powerful ways. It really is a transformative concept. So this morning, I want to start with the end in mind. I want to zip all the way to the end of my sermon uh, today. And, and here's what, what we're going to do. This, this is the question I, I want to ask you even now. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Listen to me. I'm not asking who do you need to seek forgiveness from. That's not the question we're asking today. Today, what I want to do is give you motivation and power, and even clarity of definition of what this word forgiveness really is, so that maybe you could extend forgiveness to someone in your life that has hurt you or wronged you. Would you bow with me? The bowing of our head just really represents uh, our heart posture before God. If you want to even close your eyes to block out distractions. My invitation to you this morning is to ask that question. Maybe if you're a Christ follower and if you have a relationship with God, ask him that question. God, who do I need to forgive? 
Is it a spouse or an ex-spouse? Is it a parent or a co-worker? Is it a friend, an ex-friend? You know, when their name comes to mind, you kind of feel that pit in your stomach. And maybe you've forgiven them once or twice or five or a hundred times before, but you know you need to do it again. God wants to set you free from that prison of unforgiveness today. So I'll let you just sit with that for a moment. Let God maybe bring a name to mind. And then we'll jump in together. people of God together said, amen. Just in a moment of honesty, now would you shoot your hand up if God brought a name to mind for you today? Shoot your hand up for me. Cool, cool. Uh, for those of you uh, who didn't, uh, God did not bring a name to mind or you did not think of somebody you needed to forgive, uh, I, I want you to be able to apply this today. So I'm going to say something right now so that you have me to forgive at the end of the sermon, okay? Ready? I hated Hamilton. I thought it was stupid. I thought it was a waste of two and a half hours. I thought the rapping was bad. I thought the writing was bad. I didn't like the fact that we had to take a break in intermission. I just wanted to endure the whole thing and get out of there. It was awful. So now you have someone to forgive, don't you? Yeah. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 18. We'll be in Matthew chapter 18. Here's what's going on in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, the disciples have started this conversation with Jesus, and they've asked the question, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They've asked this question likely because when the crowds uh, come to Jesus and they want something from him, they come to Peter first. Peter's the real vocal one. He seems to be kind of the leader of the group. And there's a couple other disciples that are in kind of the big three, the closest to Jesus, that are likely growing a little bit jealous of this. They think they, that they don't look so great. Their names are James and John. And, and so what they want to know is, Jesus, kind of where do we rank in, 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 the, in, in the kind of the, in the order of things in, in your kingdom when you install your kingdom? And Jesus uses this as an opportunity to kind of help instruct these guys with regard to interpersonal relationships. And he gets to this point in Matthew chapter 18 where he starts talking about the ecclesia, that is to say that the gathering of believers and how we treat each other when we have to have open and honest and really truthful conversations with others. And he talks about the ways in which you extend forgiveness to others. And, and there's this moment in Matthew chapter 18 where Peter kind of chirps up. We owe a lot to Peter's impetuousness. He, he was a talker and he a lot of times uh, spoke before he thought. He was a ready, fire, aim type of guy. And so Peter uh, pipes up and he says this in verse 21. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Let's stop there real quick. So Peter 
likely is gesturing at James and John, or at least indicating, maybe kind of doing one of those head nods. How often am I going to forgive these guys for thinking that they're ranked higher than me? I'm clearly the leader. That's probably who he's indicating here. And what he's done is he's taken what was the modern kind of you know, understanding of the day. How many times do I need to forgive someone who's wronged me? The, the rabbis would say three and just three. They were getting that from Amos chapter one. It's a prophet of God. And, and, and on behalf of God, this prophet Amos says, uh, for three offenses, but not for four, will I forgive their sin. And, and, and he's talking about a particular city. So, and God is not saying in that case, hey, you wronged me three times, I'm gonna forgive you. And on the fourth time, you're out. What he's saying is there is a point where I will introduce my discipline into your life to bring you back to myself. And he's not saying it's three or four, but the rabbis in the day kind of took it to mean that. And so they said, hey, three times, but on that fourth time, you don't have to forgive. You're under no obligation. So what Peter does is he takes what is the modern understanding of the day, he doubles it, and then adds one for good measure. Right? He says, Jesus, should I forgive them up to seven times? Right? And Jesus says, no, man, I tell you the truth. Uh, what, here's how many times you need to forgive them is 77 times. How many of you have a Bible translation in front of you that says 70 times 7? Anybody have 70 times 7? Okay, the question is, is it 77 or is it 490? Is that 70 times 7? 490? Good. I'm not a math guy, okay? Is it 77 or is it 490? Doesn't really matter, right? This is the exact type of pedantic calculations that Jesus is cautioning us against here. What he does is he just says, look, look, Peter, it's, it's as many times as they sin against you. That's how many times you need to forgive them. And Jesus launches into a parable here to help illustrate his point. Now, remember, we've been going through parables for the last number of weeks here at North, and parables are stories of real-life stuff that could happen that Jesus kind of throws alongside kingdom realities and kingdom truths. He wants us to understand spiritual and eternal truths, and he uses these stories to help us do so. And so he looks at Peter, and he looks at the disciples, and even the crowds that have gathered around him, and he says, look up here on the screen, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him that owed 10,000 talents, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me, and I'll repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. Stop there. Jesus is going to give us three pictures of what forgiveness is, and, and even in some cases, what forgiveness is not. This is the first of those three pictures. And when Jesus launches into this parable, he says something really, really critical. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. So what I want you to know is that this story that Jesus tells is about the kingdom of heaven. What, what Jesus is not saying to Peter is, Peter, this is what Christian behavior is like. This is what I've instructed you to do. These are the checklists that you need to go through. Make sure that you're a forgiving person because that's what Christians do. It's highlighted up here on the screen. It's a really simple question. It's really straightforward. What is this parable about? It's about what? The kingdom of heaven. I need a little bit more volume from you this morning, okay? What is this parable about? It's about the kingdom of heaven. And remember, this is what we talked about last week. Look up here on the screen. 
And for those of you who were, who were here last week, you recognize this. For those of you who weren't, we're going to skip through it really quickly. But God sets up the context of his kingdom. That is to say, original man and original woman in perfect harmony, in a kingdom of peace, of joy, of, of goodness and wholeness, a, a kingdom where they could be fully transparent with one another and with God and feel no shame. And they uh, rejected God. They thought they would be a better God than God would be. And that's the crisis that's introduced that results in what's the rising action of Scripture. That is to say, uh, the crisis causes a ripple effect of lots and lots of negative consequences. If you've read the Old Testament at all, and you're reading and you're going, what in the world is happening here? What is God teaching us and me? What if these people are messed up. God goes, right, exactly. It's a historical record of what happens when we reject God and we want to be our own God. And, and the climax of the story here is the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus that results in the falling action. That is to say, all of the rising action begins to be undone, corrected, renewed. And there will be a moment when the king returns, he cracks open the sky, and there is a resolution, and all things will be made new. But right now, we are living in this falling action time. We are ambassadors of reconciliation, of God's message to the world, and we are his ministers doing the work of the kingdom in the world. So in this particular case, Jesus wants to say, I want you to understand what I have done and what God has done, and then, and then and only then, how it empowers you to live out those principles in your own life. Are you tracking with me? This is not just about, here are the 10 things you need to do to impress God. In fact, it's not about that at all. It's about the ways in which the kingdom of God has entered into the kingdom of the world and and God has rescued you and now sent you into the world to be an ambassador. Tracking? This is what this parable is about. So let's read it. Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Began to settle. One was brought to him, owed him 10,000 talents. Stop there. You know that Jesus um, was born under the reign of King Herod. Of all of King Herod's kingdom, his entire kingdom, his gross annual revenue was 600 talents. The talent was the highest unit of currency in the day. 10,000 was the highest Greek number. Galilee was a province that Jesus was from. He was not from a rich town, but Galilee happened to be a rich province. Their entire annual revenue was 300 talents. Jesus takes the highest Greek number and the highest form of currency and he puts those things together. This man owed his master a gajillion bajillion dollars. That's what Jesus is saying here. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and, and payment to be made. So he says, we're going to sell you, your wife, and your kids into slavery so I can at least recuperate some of this immeasurable and impossible debt that you owe. Servant bows down in front of him and says, have patience with me, have pity on me, and I'll pay you everything you owe. It's a bajillion gajillion dollars. Is it or is it not realistic? Simple question. No, no, it's not realistic. He's not going to repay the debt. No way, shape, or form is he going to get anywhere close. But he begs for mercy, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. Picture number one. 
Picture number one of forgiveness. Now you would think that this man, owing a bajillion, gajillion dollars, would now be compelled to extend grace and forgiveness to someone else. But you'd be wrong. <laughs> Let's keep reading. It says, next, next slide please, that when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So a servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I, would pay, and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. A couple things are going on here that are really fascinating. The first thing is this servant leaves uh, after having been forgiven a bajillion, gajillion dollars. He walks out and it says he found a fellow servant, which implies he was doing what? He was looking. He actively goes out and looks for this guy who owes him 100 denarii, the modern equivalent of about 50 bucks. Not insignificant. So he owed me 50 bucks, I'd have him pay it. All right? But he finds him and he puts hands on him. He seizes him and he begins to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. To, to give you a picture of, of these two different sizes of debts here. $50 and quarters weighs about two and a half pounds, give or take. Uh, 10,000 talents in quarters would take 8,300 men each carrying 60 pounds of quarters to carry. You see how the difference, you see how drastic the difference is, what Jesus is trying to do here? See, these debts are not the same. This is wildly different. Not only does he put hands on him, choke him, seize him, and saying, pay me what you owe, but then when his servant repeats the exact same words that he just said to his master, did he check it? You see it? It's the exact same words. Have pity on me. Have patience with me. I'll pay you what you owe, which is actually possible. It's 50 bucks. It's actually possible. And instead of saying, I'm going to sell you into slavery and recuperate some of my debt, he says, you're going to prison where you cannot work, thus rendering it impossible for him to repay anything. You see how punitive this is and petty and silly? This guy's not even worried about him recuperating what he's owed. He's worried about putting his fellow servant in prison. That's picture number two. Picture number three, look up here on the screen. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. <laughs> I think the Bible's really funny. Um, greatly distressed is like the understatement of the year, right? Like this guy is like choking, and they were distressed, even greatly. <laughs> That's just me, I just think it's funny. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I want to say just a couple of things with regard to biblical interpretation here because it's important that we say this. First is this. A parable has one main point. And the point of this parable is 
people who have been forgiven forgive other people, right? That's the point of the parable, okay? So we're going we're gonna to get there in a minute. We're going to talk about that. The point of the parable is not this. We, we can't take those next two or three steps. Remember last week we talked about a parable has one main point, but like an allegory, every little thing represents something, right? In Tolkien or in C.S. Lewis, Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe, every little thing represents something. So at the end of this parable, when we go, okay, so this is Heavenly Father putting you in hell because you didn't forgive your brother. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. Because the parable has one main point, one main point, and to draw other interpretations or conclusions from secondary, even tertiary issues in the text is not fair to the the actual genre here of a parable. That's the first thing. The second thing is, with regard to biblical interpretation, we always let scripture interpret itself. And the scripture would say, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith, not by what? Say it with me. Works. It's not of yourself so that no one can boast. So Jesus is not saying here, if you forgive other people, you can trade those works of forgiveness for God's forgiveness of you. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that God's forgiveness of you, of your uh, you know, crazy, impossible, a bajillion, gajillion dollar debt compels you to forgive others. That's the one and only point of the parable. Everybody tracking with me on that one? Good, gotcha. Okay, so we got three pictures of forgiveness. The first Servant goes to his master, owes him a bajillion, gajillion dollars, begs for mercy, and the master says, forgiven, walks away. Finds his fellow servant who owes him 50 bucks, lays hands on him, chokes him, and says, pay me what you owe. He says, please, have pity on me, have mercy on me. And he says, I'm putting you in prison, thus rendering it impossible for you to repay your debt for me. Fellow servants look at him and go, I'm greatly distressed. Okay? <laughs> they report it to their master. Their master comes back and says, Man, I just forgave you a bajillion, gajillion. You couldn't forgive somebody else $50. Now you're going to jail. Now let's apply it. Two quick things that Jesus is teaching us from this parable. And if you are a note taker, I encourage you to jot this down. Here's the first thing. Forgiveness always costs somebody something. Forgiveness always costs someone something. In the case of the master forgiving the first servant, what did it cost him to forgive the debt? A bajillion, gajillion dollars. In the case of the two servants that had the conversation uh, and, and one was thrown into prison by the other, what would it have cost him if he had forgiven the debt? 50 bucks. It's always going to cost somebody something. This is really important for us to understand uh, as, as a people who are called to be a forgiving people. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Here's why it's important for us to understand. Now look at me. This is so important. Forgiveness is not easy. Nobody said that it was. Maybe, maybe that could do a little bit of healing work in your heart today. Because maybe that person that you thought about, that you needed to forgive today, when that name came to mind, you went, this is not easy. And God goes, right. 
it is going to cost you something. It might cost you 50 bucks. It might cost you the opportunity to take vengeance and get even. It might cost you a little bit of your reputation. It might cost you a relationship. But it's going to cost you something. Not easy. That's why Jesus puts these two pictures together. Because what he wants us to know is that he will never call you to do anything that he wouldn't be willing to do himself. You love that? When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, was he willing to do that himself? Right. When he says, forgive that person the $50 debt, was he willing to do that for you? 100%. And not only that, but it was a bajillion gajillion. It's going to cost you something. The point of the parable is this. That God's forgiveness of us, that is to say the master's forgiveness of that first servant, compels us to forgive others. And so the question is, for Christ followers in the room, I know not everybody is a Jesus follower in the room. That's okay. We're thrilled that you're here. But for Christ followers in the room, here's the question. Do you ponder what it costs God to forgive you? When, when you struggle to forgive that friend or forgive that parent, when you still want to take vengeance, when you still want to punish them, when you want to seize them and choke them and put them in jail, This is the point of the scripture that Jesus has introduced a kingdom and he now sends us out to be kingdom ambassadors in the world. So we're not pulling up our bootstraps and going, I'm just going to forgive that person. Try it, by the way. Let me know how it goes. It's not going to go well, spoiler alert. But when we, have, when we are a people who truly know what it costs God to forgive us, then forgiveness tends to just flow from that. Really, this is point number two. It's this, forgiven people forgive people. <laughs> That's Jesus' point in, in, in the final uh, picture in this text, right? In the final picture, when he says, I'm gonna put you in jail now because I just forgave you a debt and you couldn't forgive your brother. What he's saying is that when, when we forgive others, when we extend forgiveness to somebody else, it's a sign, it's an indicator, it's proof in some ways that you truly have been forgiven. And if you are a person who withholds forgiveness from others, my question would be, do you know how much you've been forgiven? I'm not going to extend forgiveness to that other person, it's going to cost me too much. Did, did, have you thought about what it cost God? Christ followers in the room, you know the gospel story. You know what it cost him to forgive you. Forgiven people forgive people. And when we've been transformed by having a bajillion, gajillion dollar debt lifted off of our shoulders, that $50 doesn't sound all that significant anymore, does it? 8,300 men carrying 60 pounds of quarters in comparison to about two and a half pounds of quarters. 
Those two and a half pounds don't sound all that significant anymore, does it? We let the weight of what God has extended to us, the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and now it compels us to live in this, this falling action moment. We are now ambassadors of forgiveness in the world. My hope is that for starters here, you have at least in this parable found some spark of motivation. Some catalyst, some, some something in your heart that goes, maybe I could do it. If God could forgive me, and listen, you know all the stuff you've done. And if God could forgive you, maybe you could forgive somebody else. We need to turn a corner. Second thing I want us to do today, and I talked about it at the beginning, not just find motivation to forgive, but to understand what forgiveness is biblically and the type of forgiveness that God is calling us to and, maybe more importantly for some of us, the type of forgiveness that God is certainly not calling us to or may not be calling us to by dividing up this term forgiveness in three different ways because biblically speaking, there's three different types of forgiveness. You may not have known this, but there are. The first is called judicial forgiveness. Judicial forgiveness. If you're writing down notes, this, when someone explained these three things to me, it blew my mind. It helped me to, to understand what my role is and what God is compelling me and propelling me to do and calling me to do in terms of extending forgiveness to others. Judicial forgiveness, biblically speaking, is God's forgiveness of you. It's God forgiving you. Look up here on the screen. Isaiah 55 says this. Uh, two slides ahead, please. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Other translations are forgive. This is God extending forgiveness to his people. Ephesians chapter one talks about it as well. It's up here on the screen. In him we have redemption through his blood and the, read those words with me, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Judicial forgiveness, positional forgiveness, is God's forgiveness of you. This is why it's so critical. You ready? Judicial forgiveness is above your pay grade. When we talk about interpersonal forgiveness and who do you need to forgive, their relationship with God is not on you. Tracking? You're not extending them positional or judicial forgiveness. That's not what God is calling you to do. That's his job. I promise you don't want it. It is above your pay grade. It is between that person and God. Cool? Second type of forgiveness, and this is the one that God is calling us to for sure. The third type, maybe. Second type is this. It's psychological forgiveness. It's psychological forgiveness. The Bible talks about this in a couple different places as well. Look up here on the screen. Romans chapter 12. Beloved, read those words with me, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Man, I don't know about you, but when I feel wronged, I want to take vengeance into my own hands. If somebody slaps me on the cheek, I want to slap right back, you know what I mean? 
Somebody takes money from me, I want to take it from them. If somebody hurts me with their words, and I'm pretty good at this, I can undress people and make them feel stupid with my words. I can. That's what I want to do. I want to retaliate. Somebody, this, if you can just picture this, somebody picked up a baseball bat and just went to town, just went to town on me. You know what I want to do? Is I want to pick a bat up and run right back at them. Psychological, forgive, psychological forgiveness is putting the bat down. That's what psychological forgiveness is. Throw that up on the screen if you would. Psychological forgiveness is putting the bat down. It's a choice not to take vengeance. It's a choice not to get even. It's a choice that you make in your heart not to exact vengeance. And listen, it might not be a one-time thing. In fact, how many people in this room would, would go ahead and admit that there are people in your life that you have forgiven in the triple digits? Okay, raise your hand. Don't nudge your spouse while you're doing this. That's not fair to them. You know what I mean? It's you <laughs> that I've forgiven hundreds of times, right? Sometimes for the same offense, right? But this is an ongoing thing that we choose, according to Romans 12, to never avenge ourselves. It's putting the bat down. <laughs> Finally, there's a third type of forgiveness that the Bible talks about, and that's relational forgiveness. It's relational forgiveness. There's a moment in Scripture, uh, and it's a little bit of a story here, so track with me. It's, it's really important for us to understand. Uh, Paul, first missionary of, of the Scripture, really, and first missionary of the Christian church, and his pal Barnabas were about to go on another missionary journey. And Barnabas says, I want to take my guy, Mark, probably a family member or a cousin. I want to take him along on this missionary journey with us. And Paul says to Barnabas, no way, no how, putting my foot down, not interested. Why? Because when we were in this other city, Mark bailed out on us. It got too hard for him. I felt abandoned. I, I felt betrayed. And he's not coming, period, end of story. And such a dispute arose among Paul and Barnabas and Mark that they chose not to go on the missionary journey together, but they went their separate ways. Has relational forgiveness taken place? No. Now, according to Scripture, I mean, we don't see any place that Paul took vengeance or, or, or acted out against Mark or acted out against Barnabas. That is to say that psychological forgiveness had taken place. And because we know that those men were Christians, that, uh, that judicial forgiveness had taken place, but not relational forgiveness. Not relational forgiveness. Until the end of Paul's life. The very last letter he wrote, very much towards the end of the scripture, very much towards the end of the letter. Look up here on the screen what he writes. He says, Luke alone is with me, and get who? Say it with me. Mark, the guy that abandoned us, the guy that I refused to take, the guy I had the dispute with, the guy I wasn't interested in being around, get him and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me in ministry. You know, sometimes relational forgiveness just takes time. Relational forgiveness really is just mending fences. That's what it is. It's mending fences. It's relationship fully restored. And listen, when you start talking about cases like, let's say, of abuse, 
or a, or a divorce where an individual and, and, and their spouse have, has split or, or like I said, there's been abuse, uh, that individual could receive judicial or positional forgiveness and the wronged spouse could extend psychological forgiveness, but that doesn't mean relational forgiveness is healthy or helpful. Sometimes it just takes time. Just because you've forgiven psychologically doesn't mean that relationship need to be restored. You with me on that? Does that make sense? You understand the difference and why it's important that those three things are different? Judicial forgiveness is above your pay grade. That's not on you. Relational forgiveness, you're, a call, you're called to on occasion, but there are occasions when appropriate boundaries are in place. and That's not a wise thing to do. Or maybe it's just going to take time, like it did with Paul and Mark. Or maybe you're not going to experience total relational forgiveness on this side of glory. That's okay. Here's the one that you are called to. Psychological. <laughs> you are called to put the bat down. You are called, as a follower of Christ, to understand that you once came to your master and said, I know I owe you a bajillion, gajillion dollars, but please have pity on me. And even though it cost him his son, even though it cost him an astronomical amount, he lifted that burden off you and chose not to take vengeance on you and extended grace and mercy. So as a Christ follower now, we are compelled, instructed, we've been given a model and an example to walk now into the world as a forgiven people who forgive other people. And so when someone comes after your reputation, when someone comes after your financial life, and someone comes after you at work or in your family, when somebody says something to you that embarrasses you and that hurts you, it's okay to, to let them know, look, that was not okay. That, that's not what forgiveness is, is just ignoring it. Forgiveness is a choice to put the bat down. So let's end where we started. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Bow your head with me if you would. I hope that you found some motivation, some reason to extend forgiveness today. And I hope that maybe even that clarity of description freed you from extending the forgiveness that is only God's to extend. Judicial forgiveness is above your pay grade. That's not what we're talking about. Let's start with the psychological one. Is there an individual or group maybe in your life God is calling you to put the bat down? to understand what debt has been lifted from your shoulders and then lift the debt from theirs. To choose not to take vengeance. To let God free you from the prison that is unforgiveness. Just psychological forgiveness. Just thinking about that one. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you slip your hand up if you're going, yep, there's somebody that I need to put the bat down and not take vengeance. Show me if you would. Cool. Great. Awesome. Now, there may be 
Not certainly. There may be somebody that God is calling you to send a text to today. Or make a phone call to. Say, maybe we need to mend fences. Maybe enough time has passed. Maybe some repentance has taken place. And let the power of God restore that relationship. For those of you in the room that said, gosh, considering the debt that God lifted from my shoulders and the full relationship that he has restored between me and himself, I I do feel like I need to extend relational forgiveness to somebody else. Shoot your hand up, would you? Cool, cool, got it, love it. God, I I think today I am most thankful um, for this concept that you will never call us to do something you are not willing to do yourself. Hmm. What a notion, what a concept, what what a truth that when we're called to take up our cross, you took yours up. When we're called to forgive others, you forgave us. An astronomical and incomparable debt. Thank you, God, for that example. Our prayer today is that you would give us the power by your Spirit not to forgive some people so that we can trade it for your forgiveness of us, not because it's a work that we need to earn your salvation, not pulling up our bootstraps. God, that you would give us a deep recognition and realization of the incredible debt that you've forgiven and call us into the world to be a forgiving people and see what transformative power it has in our lives and the lives of others around us. In Christ's name, with enthusiasm, the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we close in song. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. I'd I'd regret it if I didn't say it. Um, Let's go back to the first picture of forgiveness, the Servant who owes a bajillion, gajillion dollars, and he says, have pity on me, have compassion on me, and I will repay you what you owe. And the master looks at him and goes, there's no way, slick. Not even close. It's a bajillion, gajillion dollars. He says, but do me this favor. Make sure you get baptized, and then take a class, and then try to be forgiving of other people, and over time, I will release you from the debt. Is that what he says? No, 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 no. He says, go, you're forgiven. See, Christ followers, you know this, that you came to your master at one point and said, have pity on me, have compassion on me. And he goes, you're forgiven. You're just forgiven, just forgiven. It's over, it's done. Like, I don't have to jump through any hoops? Nope. I don't have to attend church? Nope. I hope that you still do. Uh But you don't have to. You don't earn that. So if you've never received the forgiveness that God would extend to you, here would be my encouragement this morning. Just go to the master and say, have pity on me, have compassion on me, 
And you know what you will find in the master is a smile. You know, the, the Bible says that God gets up from his throne in order to show compassion. Did you know that? He rises. He, this, is, this is what moves him to action so that he could have compassion on you. And all you got to do is say, just have pity on me. I can't repay you. Too much, too much brokenness. Too, I just got too much. And he goes, I know, like a bajillion, gajillion of those things. But the debt is gone and you're forgiven. You can walk in newness of life and in grace because that master has compassion and goodness and kindness for you today. That's good news. Amen. Hey, we have prayer partners in the back. Uh, if, if you are working through forgiveness with somebody and you're trying to extend that to somebody, we'd love to pray for you today. If you've got any other prayer requests, you see somebody to pray with you or even just for you, uh, there's folks in the back that would love to do that. Uh, have a fantastic rest of your Sunday. Who are we rooting for today? Chiefs? Niners? Niners. I still hoping the Packers can pull it out. Um, bye, y'all. See you next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.